listening to the Central Stanford Podcast. To learn more about Central Stanford, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralstanford.net. Well, it's so good to be with you here today. My name is Craig Bell. I'm on the executive pastor here, and uh, that means a lot of things, and I'm still figuring it out two and a half years in. So um, thank you for being here today, whether you're in person here in the room or if you're online, welcome. We're so glad that you're here today. Um, Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for what you've already done through our our worship and what you did through our 930 service, Lord. We just thank you for how you're moving in this church, how you're moving in this community. And Lord, I just pray now as we open your word that we will, we will have changed lives because we experienced you. Nothing from what I said, Lord, but only from what your word said. Lord, you are strong and I am weak. And Lord, we just pray now that you speak through your word and we pray things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have an alarm clock that sits next to my bed. I've had it there probably over 10 years, and it has faithfully woken me up each and every morning. But there's this one little unique thing about this alarm clock that, that I finally figured it out, what's going on. But what happens is actually it, it moves ahead a little bit. It adds time, little by little by little. So um, I know many of y'all are thinking, I'd probably pay you 100 bucks for that. That would maybe keep me from being late places. Uh, but this clock is unique. And what I figured out over time, and I've had it a while, is it adds about a second and a half per day. Yeah, I really figured that out. It adds about a second and a half per day. And you may be thinking, what's the big deal about a clock you know, adding a second or two a day? There's 86,400 seconds in a day. What's the big deal about a second? Well, at a second and a half, if you think about it, or two seconds, over a week, it's added a little bit more. And then once it comes to a month, it's added really a whole minute. And after 12 months, it's added 12 minutes. And maybe after two years, it's added 24 minutes to it. The time is completely wrong as it goes and goes and goes, just from one and a half seconds, adding every single day. Now, what's the problem with that? That's kind of like our lives, when we begin to you know, slightly get off the, war, the, the path that God has, it's best for us. When we start to slightly move what I'm going to call one degree off the path, it's not much at first. It's just that second or two that's kind of ticking off. But we begin, as time goes, to, as we move, it gets further and further and we move further away from God. It's those little one seconds, little one degrees that we make that move us away from God. And I want to look at a, a passage. Our pastor has been going through the great stories of the Bible. And what we're going to do today is we're going to go back to the beginning and start with Adam and Eve to close this series. And next week, he'll be beginning a series called Day Traders. But we're going to go back to the beginning to Genesis chapter 3. So if you'll open your Bibles to the very first few pages of your Bible, Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to read it here in just a moment. Genesis chapter 3, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 6. If you'll stand with me to honor God's word together as we read. Genesis 3, 1 through 6 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you will die." But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. You may be seated. 
Well, Genesis 3, there are many commentators and theologians that say Genesis 3 is the most important chapter in all of the Bible. And you may say, well, why, how can one chapter be so important? Now, I want you to imagine if you take chapter 3 out of the Bible. First of all, Genesis 1 and 2, we have God just create this spectacle. He creates everything that's in existence. He creates the universe. He creates you and me. He creates all of these different things. And then all of a sudden, if you take chapter 3 out and you jump to chapters 4, especially through chapters 11, all of a sudden there's murder, there's deceit, there's lying, there's stealing, um, there's evil all in the world. What happened all of a sudden that we went from perfection literally to this evil world? Well, that's where chapter 3 comes in. And we see that this is the basis for redemption. We begin God's great story of redemption in chapter three is what happens. I remember I had a, there was a, uh, at a former church, there was a seminary professor who was a member there. And every single time like a pastor came or student pastor, whoever it was, he'd always ask just one question to them. Just one question. He would ask them, what do you believe? And explain to me what you believe about Genesis 1, 2, and 3, chapters 1, 2, and 3. And that was always an interesting question that he asked it. So I went and I asked him one day, why do you ask just that one question to a potential pastor coming to our church? And here's what he said. He said, you can tell a person's entire theology from what they think about Genesis 1 through 3. Because this is the foundation. This is where sin is birthed, where it's born. And all throughout the Bible, we see that people try to use judges. They try to use kings. They try to use themselves. And nothing until Jesus comes and takes away these sins, nothing can fill that. So this is the beginning of the story of redemption that happens in Genesis chapter 3. Now we see here that, first of all, man and woman, Adam and Eve, they're innocent. When they are first created, they are completely innocent, but they are not righteous. Now, what's the difference between innocence and righteousness? There's a big difference. Innocence, as we saw in chapters one and two, is just that, but righteousness is innocence maintained in the presence of temptation. Innocence maintained in the presence of temptation. And we see what happened to Adam and Eve when they are pressed, when they are tempted, when they move from innocence and try to achieve righteousness, which they don't do. We see some very clear things that Satan has some tactics that he uses. Now, let me tell you one thing. Temptation is coming your way. It may happen in this service. It may happen later today. It may happen tomorrow or the next day. But temptation is coming your way one way or the other. It's gonna come to us all in different ways, different from me, different to you, but temptation is coming your way. And we have to know that how does Satan, what tactics does he use? And I think there's a clear explanation in Genesis chapter three of what tactics Satan uses. So first I kind of want to give you the problem, the trouble, and then I want to give you a solution and show you how God brings us out of this temptation and gives us hope through temptation. Now Satan has some tactics of temptation. The first one is he has a physical tactic. He has a physical tactic, and we see that in verses 1 uh, through 3. It says, The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, may we, eat of, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you will die." So Satan here and the serpent here tries to deal and, and, and attack the physical side of Eve and says, you know what? It's not that big a deal. You can touch it. You can eat it. And Satan does the same things to us when he tempts us. He uses the physical side of temptation. 
Literally the physical side. You can touch it. You can do this. You can do that. This is, you know, within your boundaries. You can step out of those boundaries. Who set those for you? But there is a physical aspect to temptation. And this is what he does here. Did God really say you can't touch it? You can't eat it? Well, Eve says kind of, sort of, but not really. And then she goes ahead and eats it. Let me give you a good explanation. And I know this is um, a G-rated service. You know, and I'm speaking mostly to men here, but women as well. There's this little thing that we hold in our hands called a smartphone. There's also this thing that we sit in front of, a laptop or a tablet or a computer. And there's things that we make decisions and there's temptations that come through that. One of the greatest tempters right now is the digital age and electronics. That is a physical temptation that happens to us. Saying, do this, do that, don't do that. And that is what happens. He comes at us from the physical. Yo, go ahead. Pleasure is fine. Yes, pleasure is fine. He uses a half-truth there, but within the bounds of what God calls us to. So he uses physical ways to tempt us, and he uses that tactic. The second way we see in verses 4 and 5, he uses personal gain. Personal gain uh, to do this. We see in verses 4 and 5, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Personal gain. You know what? I don't want to wait for it. I want to do this quickly. I want personal gain. You know what? What is at the root of personal gain? It's selfishness. It is. We are all selfish people. I hate to tell you that. I'm selfish. You're selfish. Without the grace of God, that is who we are. So personal gain. The serpent says, you will not die. God knows that if you eat this or if you touch this, your eyes will be open. You will get personal gain from this. You will be like God. You will be as good as God. You will be as good as anything. So that's why God is telling you, don't do this. But you can do it. You can take these steps to have personal gain. But we keep going down into verses 6 and 7, and uh, we see that the next thing that he deals with, and he has the tactic of pride and immediate gratification. It says, So the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband with her, and he also ate." Here's what the serpent said. You know what? Wisdom can come with one single bite. How long does it take to develop wisdom? Really? Wisdom takes literally a lifetime. Wisdom certainly takes years to develop. Discernment takes years to develop. But what does Satan do? Nope, just like that, you can have wisdom. Just eat of this. And he tells us that today. Immediate gratification. We live in an immediate gratification society, don't we? We want it now. We order in our phones. We get it soon. You know, we're upset when Amazon doesn't deliver it in an hour or two. Well, guess what? You can't have an Amazon relationship with Jesus because it takes time to develop. You can't have an Amazon relationship with a person. It takes time to develop. Wisdom takes time. Discernment takes time. Walking with God takes time. But here's what the serpent says. No, you need it now, and you can have it now. And that's what he tells us so often in our quick, quick, quick microwave society. You can have it now. And that's a big temptation that he comes at us with. What's the root of that? The root of that is pride. Looking out for number one, looking out for me. I want it now because I am most important. And this word, have you heard this at all? I deserve it, right? I deserve it. 
Well, that's just pride. That's all that is. And that's what Satan does. That's what the serpent did here. He comes at Adam and Eve and says, you're good enough. You can do this. You can have it immediately. And he plays at their pride. And that's what Satan does with us today. Now, I think we clearly see in these six verses that Adam and Eve completely failed. They failed the test. I can remember back when I was a um, child, I went to a Christian school and I was in third or fourth grade and we were studying uh, the story of Adam and Eve. And I remember one girl in class saying, you know what? I wish I could just punch Eve in the face. I can remember that to this day. And sometimes you do. You know, they messed up our perfect world. Our perfect humanity is what they did here. But you know what? They messed up. And we know that. But this is the beginning of God's story. This is the beginning of redemption that is about to happen. God's great story. Now, I want to flip over into the New Testament and see even though that Adam and Eve completely failed here, and and we do too, we completely fail so many times, we have a model, we have an example through Jesus who, interestingly, Satan used the identical tactics on Jesus to try to get him to fall and what happens. I want to look at Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Now, let me kind of tell you where we're at here. Jesus is just about to begin his ministry. He's just been baptized by John the Baptist, and he's about to begin his ministry, and and God sends him out into the wilderness, literally to be tempted. So he's been there 40 days. Obviously, at this point, he's hungry. He's tired. um, No telling what, but 40 days of no eating and being in communion with God. And here's what it says, Matthew 4 beginning in verse 1, reading through verse 11, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And here, once again, Satan tries again. He says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now, Matthew wrote these verses for two very specific reasons, I believe. The first reason is to prove that Jesus was the sinless Son of God. He was 100% man, 100% human, and this shows his humanness here. But through his humanness, Jesus was tempted in ways exactly like we are tempted. Maybe we haven't been taken up to the top of a mountain and offered the world, but these are the same ways that we are tempted, the same ways Adam and Eve were tempted. And I'll show you that here in just a moment. But it proves that he is the sinless son of God. He faced sin. He had victory over sin. But I think the other reason that these are written is to expose Satan's tactics that he did in chapter three of Genesis with Adam and Eve, is to expose his tactics and also just give us some practical guidance on what to do when temptation comes because temptation is coming. Now, the first way that, say, that, that Jesus had victory 
over temptation, and he definitely had victory. The first way that he had victory over temptation is he had victory over the physical. Isn't that interesting? The same way that Adam and Eve were tempted, here comes Satan, the same way at Jesus. It says in verse 1 and 2, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, be tempted by the devil, devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. He was literally physically hungry. Have you ever truly been hungry after 40 days? I don't think any of us can experience that type of hunger. But he was hungry at this point. He knew his audience. He knew Jesus, and he knew he was hungry. So what does he use? The very first thing he can, the physical need of Jesus. Right then, he needed food. His body needed food. He was feeling it within himself, and that's what he offers him. He hits Jesus exactly where he's at, the place of hunger, and he does the same identical thing to us. When we are desiring something, when we have a physical need, that's many times where Satan tries to hit us. So he hits him, first of all, with a physical need. And you know, he recognizes he's the son of God, but he still hits him with that physical need of hunger. The second thing we see in verses three and four, Christ had victory over personal gain. The same thing that Adam and Eve got hit with. It says in verses Three and four, and the tempter, being Satan, came and said to him, if you are the son of God, key word, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he tries to kind of put it into Jesus's mind. You know, if you are the son of God, he didn't say you are the son of God. He tries to put doubt into Jesus's mind. You know, if you're really the son of God, you can do this. You have the power to do anything you want. Why don't you do this? So he puts a little bit of doubt in Jesus's mind. And the reason he does that is trying to get Jesus to take that step of personal gain. He said, you know what? I am. I am the son of God. I am the one. But what happens? Jesus doesn't do that. He does just the opposite and says, it is written. Man does not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. So Christ immediately He does not go for the trick of personal gain. And here's what's so interesting. He goes on to say, um, it says, devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. And here's what he writes. This is actually Psalm 91 that he says, he will command his angels concerning you on their hands. They will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Interesting, isn't it? Satan uses the word of God against the word. Isn't that interesting? But what happens is he's the only uses partial truth. Let me read you Psalm 91, 11 and 12. It says, for he will give his angels charge concerning you. And Satan leaves this line out to guard you in all your ways. So he removes that line and then he jumps down to, they will bear you up in your hands and that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So you know what Satan does when he's trying for personal gain in your life? He can even use the word of God but he's going to use partial truth and he's going to remove some things. He's going to try to twist it, which is so important that we know the word of God and and how Satan is going to attack us. But he is going to try to get us on personal gain. You know what? It's not going to hurt just to say that little lie about the coworker in order that I can advance. You know what? It's, It's not bad if I say something about my fellow teammate just in order that I can just get a little bit of an advantage on him or her. That's what he does, just these little things for personal gain. Same thing he did to Jesus, and then he'll use those half-truths. You deserve it. You need this. You've worked so hard for this. 
just do this little thing, those temptations that come. Now we also see in verses eight through 10 that Christ had victory over pride and immediate gratification. It says in verse eight, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. This is so interesting because here's what he says. He says, Jesus, why do you need to walk the path all the way to the cross? Why do you need to do that? You can have immediate gratification, immediate right now. You can have it if you'll simply worship me. Here's what he did. He said, Jesus, do it without the cross. Do it now. Have gratification now. Do it without the cross. Avoid the cross. Avoid the grave. Avoid the pain of that and do it right now. You know, if Jesus said yes, we'd all be doomed. We would. We would be completely doomed if Jesus said yes to this and he didn't say no to Satan. But thank goodness he did say yes to the cross and he cast Satan away during these times. And he says that to us. He says, you can have it now. You can have it now. You don't need to wait. Jesus, you don't need to wait either. You can have it now. Personal gain, and like I said, it all goes back to our own personal pride. We're all prideful people. So Satan tries to hit us in these places. Now, what I want you to understand is there's many times that temptation are gonna come. And there's typically two reasons that temptation comes or there's cracks in us per se. And Satan looks for these cracks to inject temptation into them. The two main reasons is, first of all, our own sin. There is a crack in our character. There's something wrong. There's something we're ignoring. There's something we are being very belligerent about, and, and we know we're doing it, and Satan will attack that so quickly. And it may just be something so tiny, something that one degree thing. Now, there's other times that Satan is going to come and hit us with things that we had nothing to do with. Maybe we were victimized. Maybe somebody comes and just knocks us off our feet and we never saw it coming. And Satan is going to use those things as well. But you know what we have to do? We have to fill those cracks. Whether we did it, whether it's sin, whether we need repentance, whether we need to confess that, or whether someone else completely did it to us, we need to fill those cracks because Satan is going to go after these different things. Now, I've given you the problem Adam and Eve, and they failed at it. I've given you the solution. Jesus came, same identical tactics Satan uses, and he had true victory over temptation. But what are some practical ways? I just want to give you some practical ways that we battle temptation because it's going to come. Like I said, it's going to come. So what are just some practical ways that we can battle temptation? The first way that I want you to do that is seek the root. What is the root of the temptation? What is the crack, like I talked about? that we're looking for, seek the root. Now, let me say something first of all. God is not the tempter. Don't ever think that God is tempting you. It is always Satan. God may allow it because what he is doing is he is allowing temptation to build you, to forge you, to make you stronger, to allow you to minister to others. God may allow the temptation, but he is never the tempter. It is always Satan. The other thing I want you to understand is temptation is not a sin. When we are tempted, when Satan comes and offers us different things or whispers in our ears, that is not the sin. The sin is when we act on it in a wrong way that opposes the word of God. So temptation is not a sin and it is not God that is tempting you. It is always Satan. But what we want to do is when we're thinking about this, we want to seek the root of the temptation. What is the crack? What is it? Is it a sin in my life? Is it something somebody else is doing 
to me. And what we need to do at that point is we need to remove it from our lives. Whether it's a sin that we need to confess or whether it's a person in our lives we need to, that we need to remove or maybe it's a memory that we need to remove from our life, you need to remove the root in your life. Now, here's the problem. Your identity is in Christ and we forget that. You are a Christ follower. Your identity comes from Christ and we forget that. That is where your identity comes. It is through Christ. You are a child of God and how often we forget that when the tempter comes and he starts to tell us different things. Remember, you are a child of God. Your identity comes from him and him alone. When that happens, your identity is in Christ, but seek that root. Remember you're a child of God. Remember your identity and where you came from and deal with the root. The other thing is know your weaknesses. My weaknesses are different than your weaknesses, just like the person over there, their weaknesses is different from yours. Know what your weaknesses is. Know where you're going to be tempted. This may be because of of past circumstances or or different things that have happened to you. Know what your weaknesses are because he's going to attack me in a different way than he's going to attack you. Now, I want to show you something real quickly here. I've got, this is my fishing box. I've had it, goodness, over 30 years. I've had it since a child. Uh, It's really special to me. This is my freshwater fishing one. Um, I am not a great fisherman, by the way. Do not come up afterwards, ask me fishing advice or anything. I'm not a great fisherman. Just know that. But this is is a fishing box. It's very special to me. Some of these lures in here were my father's from, goodness, 60, 70 years ago, uh, my late father's, and they're special to me. But one thing I do know about fishing, I'm not a great fisherman, but one thing I know about fishermen is you've got to use different bait and you've got to use different lures depending on the type of fish you're catching. So I may be fishing for a bass or something, and I'm going to use this one uh, that's going to plunge underwater. I may try another one that's going to go a different color, totally different, that's going to go on top of the water. I need to know the fish that I'm fishing for and what type of lure I'm going to use. Because some of these fish, if I take them out, or some of these lures, if I take them out in the ocean, they're not going to do one bit of good. One bit of good at all. So I know what lure sometimes to use. uh, (laughs) Probably less often than not, but I know what to use for different fish. And you know what? Satan knows the exact same thing. He knows that a certain lure may get you, but that doesn't get me. He may know a certain color is going to get you and is more dazzling. He may use a lure that's more subtle, that looks like a fish. But know what your weaknesses are. Figure out what those weaknesses are, because Satan's going to come attack you in different ways. He's going to use the different lures. He's going to use the different tactics. Different from me, different from you. Know what your weaknesses are. The third thing I just want just to give practical advice on is all is clean out the uncleanliness. When you figure out that the crack in the character is you, when it's your sinfulness or something you've done or you've done to someone else, clean out the uncleanliness. Repent and confess that because Satan is going to use cracks in your character. He's going to use sins in your life. Even the tiniest hairline crack, he's going to come and try to forge it and forge it and make it larger and larger. So know what your weaknesses are, but also clean out the uncleanliness once you know. And again, like I said earlier, even if it's somebody else that's done this to you, forgiveness, forgive them. Don't say, I can't be a child of God or I can't walk effectively because somebody did something to me. You can, your identity is in Christ. Now, the fourth thing and probably the most important one is we've got to know God's word. We've got to know God's word to battle temptation. It is the greatest bullet we have in our gun against Satan and his temptations. 
We've got to know the word of God. You know, that, that means studying it. That means knowing it, but also it means memorizing it. You know, a verse that I use is Galatians 4.20, when I know temptation is coming. Um, I use Galatians 4.20, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their sinful self according to his passions and desires. And I use that, I use other verses, and I just encourage you, memorize God's word, know God's word, because it is the greatest defense that we have against temptation. So those are just some practical ways that we can fight Satan, not if, but when temptation comes. Popular author, and he's also a marriage and family psychologist, Dr. John Trent, he wrote a book, and I also heard him give this illustration once in person. But in his book, Heart Shift, he talks about that he was on a plane one time, and he does a lot of traveling, obviously being a public speaker. And this time the plane got delayed for some reason, and they sat out on the tarmac for hours, literally hours. And he did everything he did, could do. He used his laptop until the battery died, and he did different things trying to keep busy. And finally he begins a conversation with the gentleman next to him uh, while sitting on the tarmac. Come to find out the gentleman sitting next to him was a NASA engineer. And John Trent thought this is fantastic because he loves space. He loves space travel and how it happens, but he didn't know a lot about it. But he absolutely loved it. So he said, I'm going to take this next time to figure out and just ask every single question and find out everything I possibly can. How many times do I get sat next to a NASA engineer who even worked on Apollo and all the different things, a brilliant man sitting next to me? So he, you know, ask him every single question he can and just, just fascinating conversation, delightful conversation. And then he asked him this one question. He said, let me ask you just out of curiosity, what would happen if when you blast off a rocket and let's say going to the moon, when you shoot a rocket toward the moon, what would happen if it was just two degrees off? Blast off and just two degrees off. You know, not much at the beginning, obviously, so the engineer kind of begins to chuckle and he pulls out this calculator from his briefcase that makes your little Texas instrument one look like a slide ruler. Um, so he pulls it out and he starts to, he's chuckling the whole time, laughing and, and, and kind of typing all these different numbers that none of us could probably do. And he, he gets to the end, he's still kind of chuckling. He said, well, I entered the distance from the earth to the moon as 217,000 miles, 217,614 miles, but that changes depending on what month we're in. Uh, and he says, if you were just two degrees off from the earth to the moon, you would miss the moon by 11,121 miles. That is what would happen. Two degrees. You know, last time I checked, there's 360 degrees total. That's what would happen. That's what happens when temptation comes in, begins to knock at the cracks in our lives. Even though at the beginning, it seems like a tiny, tiny little you know, being off from God and our walk with God. But as we go further, as the days go by, the months go by, and we're not walking with God, it ends up being 11,121 miles off from the path that God has for us. So what I want to encourage you today is these one degree decisions are so important. The tiniest of decisions when Satan comes and says, do this, do that, don't do that. They are so important. And we need to effectively make the one-degree decisions. We need to stay on the path because temptation is coming. Stay on the path so when these one-degree decisions come, we're able to do that. You know if I'm shooting a bow and arrow to a target at the back of the room and I am just off just a hair at the very beginning, it doesn't matter. It's, it's barely off one degree. But as it travels, it gets further and further off the bullseye and we miss the bullseye. 
Now, I also want you to understand, if you are not a follower of Christ, you are not just one degree off, you're not two degrees off, or even 10 degrees off. If you're not a follower of Christ, you are literally 180 degrees from God. You are fully turned from God. And I encourage you today, if you are online or in the room, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, make that 180 degree turn toward Christ. He will change your life. Because I know, you know, I know this for certain. When temptation comes to an unbeliever, you're not going to be able to sustain it. You can use willpower for so long. You can use self-confidence for so long, but it's not going to work. But also Christ follower, I tell you today, I just ask you today, when those one degree decisions make, come, make the choice. Make the right choice according to God's word. Be able to fight it. And here, if you get nothing else out of today, here's what I want you to hear. Temptation will either destroy you or develop you. Temptation will either destroy you or it will develop you. It will always do one or the other. So temptation is going to come and what are you going to let it do? Are you going to let it destroy you? Because eventually it will. It may not immediately, but it will eventually. Or are you going to let it develop you? And that's the exciting thing. When we're a Christ follower, we get developed into greater Christ followers. We get to walk closer with God when we're developed through temptation. encouragement to you today is when those one degree decisions come, make the right decision. Know that God is with you. Know your identity is in Christ. That's the greatest thing you can know. My identity is in Christ and that's why I can make that one degree decision. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you are a God that loves us so much. And Lord, when we go off the path, when we just by one degree get off track, and it ends up being five degrees, six degrees, 15 degrees, you are still there for us. And you're calling us back. You're telling us to come back. And I thank you for that. And Lord, I just pray for anyone in the room or watching today that if they've gotten a one or two degrees off, Lord, that they just say, Lord, I want to come home. I want to come back. I know I'm off. I'm ready to fight. And through your power, I can do that. And Lord, I also pray for the unbeliever that maybe doesn't know you. That's 180 degrees opposed to you that they will completely turn, make a 180-degree turn towards you because you are waiting for them. Lord, thank you for what you're going to do. Do it even today. We just love you and praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. For more information or how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.
Stanford.net.